Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 276, and we are recording on April 6th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We are coming to you from Book Riot, and the birds are singing in my backyard. Mm-hmm. They are so loud. <laughs> <laughs> my kids have entered the, like, disappearing into the neighborhood for hours and coming back covered in mystery mud phase of the year. So that's fun. That's fun. Like, just leave all your clothes on the front porch, please. Do they, does Petunia get to roam with them or no? Oh, no. No, no, no yeah. No, that would be, <laughs> People would die, perhaps. He would never come back, I think. Like, he would just, well, they, my children can't control him. Like, he's, ah. he weighs more than they do now yeah. and he doesn't listen to them. So, no, he barely listens to me. No, that'd be bad. Funny, but not good. <laughs> dangerous. My one of my cats fell off the windowsill this morning because she was so she was staring so hard at a bird that was like moving around. <laughs> I love yes, things falling down is never not funny. I know there's all kinds of pet comedy going on up in here. Well, welcome to the show. We will talk about books at some point, I swear. And as we said at the top, this is a show for reading recommendations. You can send in a request for a rec. Maybe it's for you. There's a book that you love and you're having trouble finding something similar. Maybe you need something for your book club or a recommendation for a friend or a relative or whatever. We're not too picky about the reasons why. Uh, you can send those requests to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes for each episode over on bookriot.com. And let's see, we have a bunch of feedback today. Oh, wait, I forgot to say, if you have a time-sensitive request, meaning that you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of your email uh, or the first line of the form, along with the date. If we're not going to get to it on air, but we want to send you a response, we might email you. So keep an eye out for those. Okay, now we'll go to feedback. Our first bit is from John, who has a recommendation for Stephanie, who likes books that have unsatisfying endings. I recommend The Coyotes of Carthage by Stephen Wright. It's about a dark, grassroots campaign in the South and the sketchy parts of government campaigns that we never get to see or hear about. Mm. And then from Amanda, feedback for a lonely nonfiction friend. Parallel Lives, Five Victorian Marriages by Phyllis Rose. The author focuses on the marriages of five Victorian authors, John Ruskin and Effie Gray, Thomas Carlyle and Jane Welsh, John Stuart Mill and Harriet Taylor, George Eliot and G.H. Lewis, ooh, and Charles Dickens mm. and Catherine Hogarth. Spoiler, Dickens is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting look at the institution of marriage and gender structure of the era. Amanda, you, this Amanda, have you read that book? I haven't. I've never, I haven't even heard of it. It sounds very in your wheelhouse. It does. And Dickens was a horrible husband and father and person. All right. And our last bit of feedback is from JB, who also has uh, a recommendation for Stephanie for books with unsatisfactory endings. I recommend What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours by Helen Oyeyemi. 
It is a book of short stories, so there are lots of endings. I would not say that the endings are unsatisfactory, but they do offer a fair amount of openness rather than closure. And you are also left to ponder how the stories relate to each other. Another option would be Italo Calvino's If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. All right, good recommendations, y'all. That was a a good round. I am going to read our first question, and then we will go to a sponsor, and we will start recommending. So our first question is from Sarah, who says, I would love some recommendations for books set in Chicago. I used to live in the city and have been finding myself missing it lately. Since I won't be able to travel there anytime soon, thanks COVID, I'm hoping to read something that will allow me to visit without the actual travel. I usually prefer to read literary fiction, memoir, historical fiction, and narrative nonfiction, but I'm fairly open in terms of genre. Would prefer not to venture too far into SFF, though. The most important thing is that the books are Chicago-centric and capture the essence of a particular place and or time in the city. And then Sarah gives us a whole list of books that they have already read. All right, let us hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Abachan died... Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda. Books mm-hmm. set in Chicago. What you got? Chicago. I have the Chicago soundtrack. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Switch. Uh, I picked oh, Chicago. No. <laughs> the earworm. I did it. I did it. That's the rest of your day. I'm sorry. But also, you're welcome because it's amazing. And now I'm going to have to go watch that video in the movie <laughs> later, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay. I picked Chicago by Allah Al-Aswani, which is the actual name of the book and not just the musical. And this obviously takes place in Chicago, but like almost entirely within the University of Illinois at Chicago in like one specific 
I think it was the hematology department, like a very specific scientific department. Um, and it follows the lives of several Egyptian characters. Some of them, most of them are immigrants from Egypt. Some of them are born in the U.S. or Americans. And some are faculty and uh, some are students. And the, uh, this is like, it takes, it was written in, oh, I don't remember, 2008 or 2009, I think. So it's post 9-11. They all have very specific experiences living in Chicago, attending this university, and either, depending on the character, like really embracing their cultural heritage or really, really rejecting it or falling somewhere in the middle in that struggle. So like there's one character, a woman who is trying to, who's like getting her PhD. She's very conservative Muslim woman. She's veiled. And then she meets a boy who she really likes. And He's like very nerdy and maybe she wants to make out with him a little bit, but that's not going to work for anything she believes. So there's like a whole struggle there. There's a character who's a professor who has like almost entirely denounced his Egyptian heritage. Like he came to get away from the dictatorship and just wants nothing to do with it until his girl, his his daughter starts talking about like living with her boyfriend and then he can't shake this like feeling that that's not okay from his like very conservative religious upbringing. So there's that kind of thing, like struggling with fitting into American culture, but also maintaining parts of your culture from home that you like. And are there any that you like? Maybe there are more that you like than don't. Like it's just all very, you know, personal and hashtag complicated. Uh, All set in the backdrop of this one Chicago college or university. It's like really poetic and beautiful and everyone in it is messy and human and a little bit weird, which I love. So that's Chicago <laughs> by Ala Alaswani. You get, you know, first person narratives and you're like, oh, right. Humans are weird. We're like a weird species. <laughs> it's just true. That sounds mm-hmm. great. My pick for you is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, which has been recommended by like a bajillion people. And this takes place both in Chicago and Paris, uh, but it's very much about 1980s Chicago. You said you were like interested in a book that really evokes a specific time in the city. And I thought this would work for those reasons. There are two timelines. The first is in the mid-1980s, and it follows a uh, development director for an art gallery, Yale Tishman. And he is like, you know, about to do this amazing exhibition uh, and his career is flourishing. But the AIDS epidemic is hitting Chicago really hard. His friends are dying. Um, He himself is potentially at risk. And he's just really struggling with what this is doing to his life and his community and his, you know, just everything. And then the other timeline is 30 years later. Fiona, who is his Yale's friend's little sister. So they're connected by, you know, sort of found family situation. Uh, So Fiona goes to Paris 30 years later to track down. She has an estranged daughter who (laughs) disappeared into a cult. Side note. And she is staying with an old friend who documented the Chicago AIDS crisis. And she is sort of like repressed a lot of what happened uh, because her brother died from AIDS and she was part of this whole community and has really not ever come to terms with what it has meant for her. And so and then she's trying to reconcile with her daughter. There's all of this, you know, complicated people-y stuff. And I thought, you know, Mackay has such a reputation um, for being a great writer and for giving us characters who are so complicated and fleshed out and, you know, like Amanda has said, humans are weird. And like, here are all the ways in which they are weird in this specific context. And I think it's always worth 
reminding ourselves about what devastation that epidemic wrought mm-hmm. on um, so many people. So again, that is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. All right. Our next question is from Madison, who says, I've always been the fall hard, fall fast type in a relationship. Me and my boyfriend have been together for almost two years, and I have known since the first day that I was completely in love. He's more of a take things slow and enjoy the moment kind of person. We live together and bought a house. We're in a serious relationship and talk about our future as life partners, but I can't get over how much I want to get married. I don't know what it is about this totally antiquated idea, but I think about it all the time. He used to say he wasn't sure about getting married due to issues in a past relationship and his fear of getting hurt, but over time we've moved into talking about marriage as a when. Even though he's evolved, I know marriage is still far off in the cards for him. I'm looking for recommendations to help me be patient while waiting for him to get to a place where he's ready, or one that shows me that the future I want is possible, or even that partnerships don't have to be defined by marriage. I'm not looking for anything to criticize my desire to be married, because I know the yearning is ludicrous, but something to keep me hopeful about the future. I love most genres, especially mystery, thriller, literary fiction, or the ill-named chiclet. Other than Red, White, and Royal Blue, I don't love romance. Um, I like serious plots, in-depth stories, and I'm a sucker for a long book. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So first, I want to say the yearning is not ridiculous. You know, like you want what you want. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. So like, you don't have to caveat with us. (laughs) Um, So I picked Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes, which I would probably fall somewhere along the literary fiction or as you say, ill-named chiclet kind of spectrum. Oh, and this comes with a trigger warning for domestic abuse. So this is about a woman named Evie who lives in Maine in like a very stars hollowish kind of small town or like murder she wrote, but without the murder part kind of small town <laughs> in Maine and her husband has died and he dies in the on the first page and on the first page she is in the process of leaving him like she is packing the car to leave her husband she gets the phone call that he's been in a car accident and so she feels you know then you like fast forward a year past that to the present day and she feels terrible she spent a year feeling terrible that like everyone treats her like this sad sad widow when in reality her husband was an abusive jerk and when he died she was kind of relieved and like Now she feels like a monster because she's kind of relieved that this guy is dead and everyone is treating her like she's way sadder than she actually is. So she's kind of frozen in her house and like doesn't know what to do with her life. And then the other main character's name is Dean, who is a pitcher for the Yankees, like a big, I, I think it's the Yankees. Yeah, because he lives in New York and he loses his arm like he loses his, his ability to pitch entirely. He has no injury. He has no psychological issues that he can identify. He's tried everything, been to every kind of doctor and specialist, and no one can figure it out. So he's decided to retire. But to do that, he has to get away from the media spotlight because he's so famous and was so talented and then suddenly was so bad, like everyone wants to follow him around. So he decides to go to Maine, to this small town. They have a friend in common, Evie and Dean, uh, named Andy. Andy is Evie's best friend. So Andy's like, hey, Dean, come stay in Maine. You know, my friend Evie has this giant house with a guest house in the back. You can stay there until the media stuff dies down and it will be fine. So he moves in. And these, so Evie and Dean are like both kind, you know, have their own traumas that they're dealing with and trying to overcome. Both of them are on this path of like, what do I do with myself now? You know, Evie has a successful career as a freelance transcriptionist for journalists, which she wants to continue doing that. But beyond that, she really doesn't know what to do. Maybe I should sell this house. Maybe not. You know, and Dean has to start all over from the beginning. Uh, And they just kind of bond in that way. And eventually they develop feelings for each other. And there's like conflict around her not wanting to get married again. Right. And him like not really knowing where his future is going. They live in two different states long term. Like he's only in Maine temporarily. And so like, it, it, you know, it's very much about having a partnership eventually 
even though marriage may or may not happen, like it's a pretty big question mark. They both end up in therapy, you know, at the end of the book, like it's very much about the realities of people who have past hurts coming together and trying to make a life together, even when like they have all of these things to overcome. And maybe that's going to end with a walk down the aisle, maybe not, but like they're going to be happy either way. So I think that this will be um, helpful for your situation. So that's Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. Yeah, so I agree with Amanda. You don't have to apologize for wanting a thing, even if it is antiquated or whatever. <laughs> I also have so much empathy for your partner. I like it's so it's a little bit uncanny. Like I am, you know, divorced, as I think a lot of longtime listeners will know. I also am in a long term relationship with somebody. We bought a house. I don't want to get married. Like I just have a lot of leftover feelings about it. And that's also fine. So the reason I'm picking the book that I picked for you is because it is very much about how do we deal with that baggage? So it's Serena Singh Flips the Script by Sonia Lali, uh, which also comes with a content warning for domestic violence and which Amanda is the reason I read this book. <laughs> and it, I really appreciated this mm -hmm. book. All right. So Serena is in her 30s. She's got a good career. Uh, she's, you know, pretty driven. Like she's she's pretty happy with her life. The thing that's frustrating her is that all of the like her friends and now her younger sister, who's been her best friend, like they're all getting married and having kids. And she feels like she cannot ever make plans with them. They just sort of disappear into their, you know, new relationships and their new lives. And she doesn't necessarily blame them, but she really feels frustrated mm -hmm. by the fact that like she can't make and keep a friend. Mm-hmm. And so and and so in this whole time, she's trying to, you know, support her sister. Her sister's having this big wedding. There's all kinds of, you know, family shenanigans around <laughs> it. Uh, but she's just really struggling to not feel like people are just dismissive of her because she's not in one of these situations and that she doesn't have any friends. So she then, you know, starts a friendship with a coworker, and she also sort of reconnects with an ex-boyfriend who you find out that, like, their relationship kind of fell apart that was 10 or 12 years ago because he wanted to get married and have kids. And she was like, I don't want those things. That's not what I want. And what I love about this book is that you find out, first of all, why she doesn't want those things. And it's to do with her family's, uh, her parents' marriage. But I love that you get her mother's perspective as well. It's so well done because you find out like, you know, Serena has a very specific view of her mother mm. and of that marriage. And like you get to see the other side of that story in a really satisfying way. And there's some tough stuff in here. And I, I really appreciated how it was handled. And I, I think that like, you know, without giving any spoilers, I think that what this book might do for you is give you sort of an inside look at the head of somebody who is uncomfortable around the idea of marriage and some reasons why and just give you like a little food for thought. But it is also a hopeful story. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it, it does some good things for you. So again, that's Serena Singh Flips the Script by Sonia Lali. Cosign. I love that book so much. That's good. That's good. All right. So our next question is from Michelle, who says, I'm rewatching the TV show House, and Gregory House is one of my favorite characters ever. It got me thinking about how I'd love to read a character like him. An intelligent curmudgeon. Sometimes you love him. Sometimes you hate him. Can be humorous and charming. A sidekick like Wilson is a bonus. What books have a love to hate slash hate to love protagonist? 
The character doesn't need to be male, and please, no Poirot or Holmes. Uh, Literary fiction, mystery thriller, and light science fiction welcome. No fantasy, please. Amanda, what what love-to-hate-hate-to-love characters (laughs) do you have here? (laughs) Um, I picked The Woman Next Door by Yawande Omotoso, which has a trigger warning for racism, um, because it has just the angriest, grumpiest, most bitingly witty old lady as a main character, (laughs) and I... I'm obsessed with her, like obsessed with her. Okay, so it's actually about a friend, well, an enemies to lovers, but friendship version kind of a story. Hortensia James and Marion Augustino, they're neighbors in South Africa in this like very posh neighborhood. They live next door to each other. They're both in their 80s. Hortensia is black, Marion is white, and they hate each other, like capital H, hate The book opens with them at a neighborhood watch meeting, which is, of course, like only old ladies. And they're just like sniping each other constantly. Hortensia calls Marion racist just to get a like rise out of her because she thinks it's funny, even though it's accurate. Marion is racist. And they just the little carping that they do to each other. Um, Hortensia herself is the angry character. She's very, very bitter. When the book opens, she's waiting for her husband to die uh, after being married for 60 years because she hates him. (laughs) And so she's become very... Just, she's just internalized all of that. She has a terrible marriage. She's really, really bitter about it. And it, she's allowed that to harden her personality to the point where she has become this like really openly difficult person. But she's difficult in like... A really self-aware way and in a really biting way, just like House. Like, you know that House knows he's a complete jerk, but he does it anyway because he can't help it because he's got personal trauma um, and he's horrible to people around him, but you can't stop watching, right? And that's the same with Hortensia. We're like, she's horrible to everyone around it. And you're kind of like, well, I'm kind of here for this. Like, I'm kind of here for it. It's fine. <laughs> and so they have, there's like a series of events that uh, where Hortensia's house is getting some work done on it and it messes up Marion's house, which is next door. And so they end up having to live together for a few weeks. And so all of their like anger and bitterness and personal histories are brought together. Marion hates Hortensia because Marion used to be a really well-known architect and she gave up her career for her husband, who was also awful. Um, and her children to like raise her family and the house that Hortensia lives in Marion built and has always wanted to live in it but she she couldn't because Hortensia managed to like snatch it off the market before Marion got a chance to buy it and Marion is just full of rage that she never gets a chance to live in like her, this thing that represents her personal accomplishments and she is also you know a white lady born in like the 30s in South Africa so she's terrible in her own ways and you just like you put these these two volcanoes of women of old ladies who DGAF anymore, right? In one house and then just see what happens. And it's so great. It's like buddy cops who hate each other but maybe love each other because they've like known <laughs> each other for 30 years but also maybe hate each other. You might choke each other to death in the night, might leave you flowers. It's just there's no way to know. I love it so much. Okay, so that's The Woman Next Door by Yawande Omatoso. Nice. I picked The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani, which is sort of a literary noir mystery something. It's a weird, (laughs) weird book. And I will give a general note that, like, when I say weird, it's extremely weird. It gets very dark. Um, There's also some discussion of war crimes, so violence. So just, you know, you have been warned. Uh, But I picked this book because there are multiple characters None of whom I know how to feel about, (laughs) except for that I could not stop reading. So I was like, let me forget giving you one love to hate character. Like, let me give you a bunch of them who are so 
complicated and have so many layers. And sometimes you're like, yes. And other times you're like, no. So it's very that like sort of whiplashy, like, oh, I love you. Oh, I don't love this. Like, Mm. what is going on? And it's really, really well done. And it is it takes place mostly in Las Vegas. There's a detective, Salazar, who is like prepping to retire. But there's been this recent spate of murders. And he like is sort of determined for this to be his last case. And there is a circus in town. And he is doing some like crime scene investigations when he comes across a pair of conjoined twins from the circus who have a container of blood near their car. So he's like, well, obviously... <laughs> They did it. And so he arrests them, puts them in jail, but they won't talk to him. He's not making any headway with his interviews. So he hires this psychologist, Dr. Singh, who is from South Africa, who supposedly specializes in the study of psychopaths. And so you get those interactions, but you also start to find out more and more about Singh and his time in South Africa during apartheid. Weird connection there, actually. I didn't Mm. realize we both picked (laughs) books that involve South Africa and apartheid, (laughs) but we did. And uh, there's also, in the meantime... Singh is in this very, like, intense, I don't know if relationship is the right word. He's very attached to an escort named Asia who is trying to, like, you know, do different things with her life after she's done with her escorting. And then there's an assassin. Like, surprise, as if this wasn't complicated enough, there's also an assassin. And things get nutty. But all of the characters are so compelling and so like there's so many twists and turns to reveals of how they're interacting with each other, how they're maybe manipulating each other and like don't necessarily know it. And it's just really amazing and such a strange book. I like I need more people to read this book so we can all talk about it. So again, that's The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani. All right. Our next question is from April, who says, I was hoping you could help me with finding more memoirs to enjoy. I'm not a big nonfiction reader generally, but I found that reading memoirs or essay collections on personal experiences really speaks to me. Huge bonus if I can get it in audio, especially if it's read by the author. Some that I have read and loved are Black Widow, The Clancy of Queens, You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Solutions and Other Problems, Born a Crime, a few more, oh, Furiously Happy, which is what started this. I'm a longtime listener, so show favorites and more recent recommendations are likely on my list. In writing this, I've realized that my list is pretty US-centric and mostly black or white authors. I'm open to more of the same, but if you have any good recs from authors of other backgrounds or countries, that would be welcome too. Okay, I picked Fairest by Meredith Talusan, which is the most like, that not difficult necessarily, but just complicated. (laughs) This is a really, really complicated memoir because Meredith is super, super honest about everything she's experienced. And some of it sends up my like, woke, liberal, spidey senses be like, No, you're not supposed to talk about that that way. But this is her experience. So like, who am I to whatever? Anyway, that's I haven't even told you what this book is about yet. Okay, so Ferrist is about is a memoir. Meredith was born in the Philippines. She was assigned male at birth and was born with albinism. Which in the Philippines is like very, very light skinned is highly valued as which is similar to a lot of Asian countries. And so she's given this like chance to be a television star as a kid playing the son of another uh, actor who has albinism. Uh, And so there's like that whole experience of growing up in a country where your skin being very pale is like, but you're both looked at as kind of weird but also is like that's kind of awesome like you lucked into having whiteness essentially so that's kind of a strange struggle and then Meredith moves to the U.S. when she's 15 
and to live with like some family and ends up, you know, grows up, uh, does the late, like the late teenage years working on like getting rid of her accent so she can seem more American. Because the thing that she discovers when she moves to the US is that people think she's white, uh, which in the Philippines was not what was happening. It was people thought she was, you know, had albinism, which was correct. But then she moves to the US and she starts passing. And then so she starts trying to get rid of her accent so that she can pass more because you get so much more social cash, like cachet when you are white, right? And so then she gets accepted to Harvard and goes to Harvard and has a really just bananas, like freedom from my family (laughs) experience and lives as a gay man in Harvard, has some like difficult to difficult (laughs) to read and not judge experiences living in the Northeast of the US, like sleeps with a lot of married men on purpose and documents it because she's a photographer at the time and like documents it for art. And I just was like, <gasps> that's so messed up. But also like, who am I? I don't know. Like, it's just very complicated. It made me feel a lot of things about myself. Yeah. And then she decides to get gender confirmation surgery, even though she's in a relationship with a man who is like, does not want this to happen. And she's afraid she's going to lose him. Like, it's just all very tangly, messy, tangly, messy, which I guess is the whole theme of the show. But I found it totally fascinating. She's such a great writer. And the cringy bits or the the bits that were like cringy for me, she does not, she's not cringing, right? Like she is just, here's the thing that I did. And here is why. And here is what this experience was like. And so it's up to you to like handle your own cringe, which I love when a book presents (laughs) this kind of like my own squeamishness to myself. And it's like, why do you feel, you know, and like makes me confront it. I think that's great. So that's Fairest by Meredith Taliesin. Handle Your Own Cringe is definitely the title of this show. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah, so I picked The Magical Language of Others by E.J. Cole, which we've talked about before, but if it's on your list, like, bump it to the top. I think Mm. you should really, I think you'll love it. I loved it. It does come with content warnings for domestic violence, self-harm, and also sort of various kinds of violence against women. This is a sort of both a memoir and essay collection. It's interesting. The author, her parents came to America uh, with them, you know, uh, and they lived in California and they were working. And then they had been there for like, you know, a decade, I want to say. And then her father was offered a job back in South Korea for a lot of money. And so it didn't seem like a thing to turn down. Like, it just didn't seem like it just didn't make any sense to him as like a father and somebody who's trying to provide for his children. And, you know, like, it sucks to be that far away. But like, this just makes sense. But her mother goes too, so both of her parents leave them. And um, Yoonji is 15 at the time. Her brother is older and has a house. So they live together in California. And she just cannot handle this. Like, she feels abandoned. She's incredibly mad at her mom. And it really messes her up in a lot of different ways. And her mother sends her letters, like, all the time, um, written in Korean and, like, trying to connect with her daughter. But, you know, Yunji just cannot. Like, she just can't. And so now, years later, she's, tr- she fi- she's like, got this box full of letters that she had forgotten that her mother had written her. And so she starts translating them and putting together the pieces of both her own experience and then what the women of her family have experienced. Because her mother, you know, 
had like childhood experiences that shaped her. Her grandmothers both had really intense experiences. And, you know, Yunji is a poet and she's in therapy. So she's like trying, she's using her art. She's using, you know, her therapy sessions. She's using her literary sort of understanding all to try to put together this huge emotional jigsaw puzzle of how to deal with the choice her mom made that she genuinely believed was the best choice for the family regardless of what Yoonji felt and like how do you come to terms with that and it's beautifully written and it's really intense and I I think also what I loved about this is like how raw the feelings are but also like (laughs) Yoonji as a teenager is, is so raw and then you know EJ Ko as an adult looking back has a lot of connections to those feelings, but is also trying to, like, use adult perspective. And it's complicated. It is so complicated. And, side note, this is available in audio. It is read by the author. So, like, there you go. I cannot. <laughs> I can only imagine how powerful it would be to hear her read some of these passages. Like, I don't really audio, and I think that would be a lot. But it would be really, really good in the a lot way. So, again, that's The Magical Language of Others by E.J. Ko. All right, it is time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer, always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Let's read question five, which is from Alex, who says, I need y'all's help finding a lush, whimsical, magical realism book. I loved Smoke by Dan Violetta, The Minimalist by Jesse Burton, and Things in Jars by Jess Kidd. 
I love luxurious, rich writing, and I'm always drawn to the gothic stories, where a house, city, place are a character. Full high fantasy can be a lot for me, but the fun magic slash whimsy slash spirits, etc., just a touch outside of reality is what I love. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked What Big Teeth by Rose Jabot, which is a YA novel that is like if the Adams family was actually dangerous and Shirley Jackson wrote it and everyone was gay. <laughs> That's what that is. There's, I think, one. I sat down and thought about it when I finished the book, and I think there's one straight character <laughs> in the book, which is amazing. And oh, what else? Oh, the house. This is very Adam's family. Like it takes place in this giant old Gothic house. So I think you'll quite like it. So the main character's name is Eleanor. And she is estranged from her family. She has been away at boarding school for like eight years, I think. And something really awful has happened in her boarding school. And so she has run away uh, and is running home. And you eventually, you know, find out what that is. The problem here is that she remembers her family and she remembers that they are not normal, but she does not remember why she left. So she knows she's going home to like family that are literally werewolves and family that are actually witches um, or, you know, very, and there are a few who are like different other kinds of creatures. And she knows that. And she knows that like they prowl the woods, that the townsfolk are scared of them, that like if she shows up in her village, she might get rocks thrown at her. Like she knows that all of that is true, but she cannot remember what it was that made her be sent away. And, and no one has communicated with her this whole time. Like she's been gone for years and years and years. No one's written her letters. No one's answered the letters she's written. Nobody's called her like because there's no phone in their house, which you find out why later. And so she shows up. And she thinks like her family's going to be surprised, but they're not because her mother, her grandmother, like foresaw it in the cards that she was returning. And then something happens, which I'm not going to tell you because it's kind of a spoiler, that puts Eleanor in charge of the family. She has to protect the family and like carry on the family business and all of that. But then a huge threat comes to the safety of these people. And so she's navigating both like being in charge of these people being really actually pretty scared of these people because she's been gone for so long that like, are they going to hurt her? And then also trying to remember what's happened or what happened that made her have to go and all of the family secrets that she's since forgotten. And it's just very like beasties and monsters and it's got a big, you know, we have always lived in the castle kind of energy where like all these teenagers might murder you and maybe did murder people. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you don't know. And it does this really excellent thing where you get the back the backstory of her family is mostly the backstory of her grandparents uh, who came who like came from the old country, you know, fleeing their own kind of monsters in Eastern Europe. And the her grandmother is a really, really powerful witch. And you get her whole backstory, which is like super queer and very dangerous lady does dangerous things with her dangerous rage. It's so satisfying and weird. And written by a local Richmond author, which I love. And that's actually why I picked it up. So that's What Big Teeth by Rose Jabo. All right. I picked Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. And I picked it because it is very much magical realism and because the Yucatan Peninsula is definitely a character. So it takes place in, like, the Jazz Age, which, side note, love. <laughs> uh, love, don't get enough, set in the Jazz Age in Mexico. Like, that's amazing. But uh, Cassiopeia Tun, who's our main character, is living in a very small town in southern Mexico. She is, you know, sweeping the floors and, you know, 
doing whatever they tell her to do, basically, in this house. Her grandfather's very wealthy. She and her mother have been, you know, sort of taken in. But they're basically servants. They're not treated well by really anyone. And Cassiopeia does not understand why her mother is so okay with this. Like, she seems sort of, like, resigned and is just always, like... You know, just get through it. Like, just ignore them. And Cassiopeia has a lot of feelings about that. None positive. She's not interested. And then in this, like, fit of rebellion, she opens this chest in her grandfather's room. And inside, whoops, is the spirit of a Mayan god of death. Surprise. (laughs) Who ropes her into helping him recover his throne. He's been imprisoned by his brother and he, like, wants his throne back. And he has decided she's going to help him. And she, like, doesn't get a lot of choice here. But also she's like, well... I don't want to stay here either, so I guess I'll go on this quest. And she, like, they go to Mexico City, they go to the jungle, like, they go all of these different places. You travel throughout the peninsula, and she starts to understand more about how this whole thing has happened. But you also get to see her, like, interact with the world outside of this small town that has been her life until this point. And, like, the balance between, like... Yeah, like getting some flapper clothes and going out to a nightclub and then also going into the spirit world or, you know, trying to like help this supernatural deity do these bizarre magical rituals is really the tension is so great between the reality and the mythology in this. So I just am a huge fan. I think you'll love it. Again, it's Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. All right. Our next question is from G, who says, I've just finished Reverb by Anna Zabo, which Jen recommended in the hand cell a couple of weeks ago. I devoured the first half of the book so fast. The character's chemistry and buildup is so good. However, for the latter part, I consciously took my time and savored each page. I was filled with dread while reading the last couple of pages. I just didn't want to bid goodbye to these endearing characters. And now I don't think I can ever find something within the genre that's as good. I'm hoping that you can give me another unproblematic queer contemporary romance fiction that's as good as Anna Zabo's or better. Maybe one with loads of angst, the only thing reverb kind of lacks. All right, I picked Written in the Stars by Alexandria Bellaflor, which for the record is the coolest name in existence. (laughs) Alexandria Bellaflor. I was like, is that a pen name? That can't be real. Like, that cannot be real. It's real. It's her name. It's fine. So Written in the Stars is like a very loosely contemporary uh, romance, very loosely based on Pride and Prejudice. Um, It it opens with a blind date. Darcy Lowell is one of our main characters who has been set up on this blind date by her brother who's like obsessed with being a matchmaker. And she is very reluctant to go. She's had a recent heartbreak. She doesn't want to get involved with somebody else. But she agrees because like, fine, fine, just leave me alone, right? And so the person she's set up on a blind date with is Elle, who is our uh, Elizabeth kind of, you know, Bennett character. She's very charming and has like a very big heart. She works as an as a social media astrologer because what m- job could a millennial have that's more millennial than that? Social media <laughs> astrologer. She runs a Twitter account called Oh My Stars, right? And she has recently gone into business with Darcy's brother. That's how they know each other who he's going to like turn it into a website. It's a whole big venture, startup, whatever. So Elle and Darcy meet. Elle is late. Darcy does not appreciate this. Darcy is obviously, as you can tell, based on Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. So she's like wealthy. She makes really good money. She's an actuary, I think, for an insurance company. Very good at math. Kind of a stick in the mud. Stickler for the rules. Beautiful. Does not appreciate that Elle is late. And also is very condescending about Elle's job. You know, Elle's an astrologer and Darcy is like... That's nonsense. And Elle is like, cool, GTFO. And so she bounces. <laughs> she just like leaves. It's a horrible date, right? It's just like horrible. 
Except Darcy tells her brother that it went really well. So her brother goes back to work and, you know, talks with Elle and is like, I'm so glad you hit it off with my sister. And Elle's like, that's funny. Your sister's kind of a jerk. So like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, She doesn't say any of that. She's just very confused. So she confronts Darcy and Darcy's like, yeah, I know we hate each other, obviously, because you're an astrologer and that's dumb. But (laughs) could we like pretend to be into each other so my brother gets off my back? And in exchange, I will do the holidays with your overbearing, overly emotional family that has no boundaries. So that's what they do. Fake relationship. They have, you know, they fake relationship it up, um, which because this is a romance turns into a real, real feelings opposites attract kind of situation um there's so much angst very well-drawn characters and you get to like Dar- like you you know darcy from Pr- the pride original pride and prejudice is not my favorite and he drives me a little crazy and darcy in this book is the same like just loosen up have a little whimsy it's not gonna kill you you know like i'll be fine but she does she like she gets there it's you know it's nice it's sweet so that's written in the stars by alexandria belfour definitely i'm gonna have to read that at some point First of all, I'm so glad you liked Reverb. I'm over here patting myself on the back. It is so good. That whole series is so good. Okay, enough self-congratulations. My next pick for you in this sort of genre is Small Change by Rowan Parrish, which does come with a content warning for discussion of depression and self-harm. This is ugh, this is the first in a series that I have only read like one of. Whoops. But I, that, I mean, I have read others by Rowan Parrish outside of the series, and I'm here for them generally. So this book is about Ginger, who is a bisexual, badass tattoo artist in Philly. So, like, what do I not love about this premise? Like, nothing. I love I, I love it so much. <laughs> so, And she is, like, running her own shop. She's got this art show coming up that she's really hoping will, like, help her, you know, make it a little bit bigger in the tattoo community, which also then will bring more work into the shop. But like side note, the shop is actually already doing pretty well, like to the point where her staff are working insane hours. She's working insane hours. But also like as a small business owner, like this is just what it is, right? So she's just flat out constantly like she's either working in the shop, doing the paperwork for running a small business or trying to paint for the art show. So she has no time for friends, for anything like she's I mean, well, she makes time for her closest friends, but otherwise she has no time for anything. And then a new coffee shop opens up down the street and she's like desperate for coffee one morning and she goes in and like, hello, adorable coffee shop owner, Christopher. Like, (laughs) that's nice. Like, that's a nice thing to get with your coffee. Right. And Christopher is like all up in the, like, he's like, oh, hello, you know, hot lady tattooer. Like, let's get to know each other. But she's just like, I don't have time for anything. And also, like, are you gonna, like, she has experienced, especially because her career is in a very, you know, male dominated field, mm-hmm. right? Like, tattooing, they're starting to be more women getting the recognition that they deserve, but it's, it is largely male dominated. And she's had, you know, she's a bisexual woman. She's had relationships in the past with both men and women. And, like, she's had some not great experiences with men, like, trying to pin her down. So she's like, ugh, I don't, I don't, not only do I not have time, but I don't know how I feel about this. (laughs) And so there is a lot of angst and their interactions are just amazing. I love them so much. And, you know, Ginger has to deal with a whole bunch of things, including her own baggage, and then 
this like huge upset in the tattoo community that happens that I swear to God, I was like, I saw this happen on Instagram. Like also like in the real world, like I have seen a legit example of this thing that happens in the book. So like it's real. And that would that was just like a weird moment of resonance. But Christopher, too, I mean, he is a cinnamon roll like he owns a bagel shop like he he just wants to feed people, which is one of my favorite romance hero tropes but he has his own stuff that he's working through and has to like come to you know he has to meet ginger halfway so i just really love this series there's great queer network in this so and other characters in this series are also queer. like it's a whole beautiful queer found family and also uh, family of origin which is really nice to see and yeah huge fan of this so again that small change by rowan Parrish. All right. Our last question is from Karen, who says, I retired late summer 2020 from my job of 15 years. I had not planned to do so, but budget cutbacks related to COVID and job frustrations sped up the decision. I now find myself adrift in my personal life and my reading life as well. I want a book that reflects my stage of life, reinvention, and moving forward. I also like quirky characters who find happiness and purpose against the odds. Some favorites in the past few years include Brit Murray Was Here, A Gentleman in Moscow, Hamnet, The Dutch House, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Amanda, I've been talking for 6,000 years to return. (laughs) All right. I picked The Jet Setters by Amanda Air Ward, which comes with a trigger warning for suicide. And this is so so many quirky characters. Just everybody is quirk. Everyone's weird and messy. It's about a 70-year-old woman named Charlotte. She is a widow. Her husband died, you know, many moons ago when she was in her, I think, 30s or 40s. Her best friend has just passed away. So she's lonely. Like, her only friend is her priest. She's Catholic now. And she she doesn't really know what to do with herself. Her children don't really speak to her. For reasons that she like absolutely cannot understand. And this is like Charlotte is a Lily Pulitzer old lady, if that makes sense. Like she is very proper and prim and like very concerned with her weight, very concerned with what people think of her. Like this is the sort of mom that she is. And so I'm sure many of us can understand why her kids don't speak to her, right? Uh, anyway, so she on a whim gets like has a little bit too much Chardonnay for lunch one day and decides she's going to enter a contest, an essay contest that she sees a commercial for called Becoming a Jet Setter, where you write about like a story about your youth. So she writes a, a surprisingly sexy essay and wins and wins a cruise, like a European cruise around the Mediterranean. And she's going to bring all of her kids. And she decides that this is the thing that's going to change all of their lives. Like they're all of her kids are adults, obviously. All three of them. She's going to gather them together. They're going to go on this cruise. They're going to get close again. They're going to not talk about anything awkward or difficult, but somehow still manage to get close again without confronting anything negative or bad or bad feelings. Obviously, this is not how this goes, right? So her three kids are Lee, who is an actress, who is like, you know, right on the cusp of fame always. Cord, who's a venture capitalist in Manhattan, and who she's just like waiting for him to get married. And then Reagan is the youngest, who got married and has had a few kids and has gained weight. And Charlotte can't stop giving her Weight Watchers gift cards. Like, please. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so all three of them agree to go on this cruise for various reasons. And then you bounce back and forth between the four different points of view. And then you find out all of their secrets. Like Lee is not on the cusp of fame. Cord is actually in the closet. And so he's never going to have this huge lavish wedding to a woman that his mother won't shut up about. And Reagan's husband is having an affair. And so she's, she's handling that in a way that is like, surprising but i don't want to spoil it like everybody treats her like she's a victim and she definitely is not so you are like with them as they just collide against each other right like everybody just rub up against it all this stuff from their past comes up 
all this stuff from their childhood comes up, the way that they criticize each other and how they're dealing with their own personal lives now. And then Charlotte is just kind of there, like feeling very awkward, not knowing what to do with her hands because people won't stop talking about their feelings, even though that's exactly what she wants, but only if the feelings are nice. Everyone's <laughs> a little bit bananas, right? But, you know, you, you wanted, you know, quirky characters to find happiness and purpose. And that's absolutely what happens here. Like everybody by the end of the book has settled on their truth and is saying it to their family, which, as we all know, can be very uncomfortable and difficult and hard. And so, like, happiness is coming for all of these people. But the journey to get there is, like, so awkward and hilarious and amazing. So that's The Jet Setters by Amanda Air Ward. I changed my mind 16 times about what I was <laughs> going to pick for this question. Because it turns out there's this, like, weird sort of lack of stories about women who are a at this point in their career making life changes, like there's like women in their 60s, right? And then there's women in their 30s, like, you know, who have been in a career for maybe like five years and are now leaving it. But like, there's not a ton of stuff in the in-between, which I think is really weird. But I found this book as I was like diving into the internet and it's on spec because I wasn't able to get it in time, but it sounds like it might be perfect for you. It's Dakota Blues by Lynn M. Spreen. It is apparently the first in a series, uh, the Karen Grace series. So Karen Grace is uh, in like a midlife situation. She <laughs> goes home to the Midwest for her mother's funeral. And because of like missing a flight, she has to take extra vacation time. And instead of approving it, they fire her, which <laughs> is like talk about management issues. <laughs> so she's just like, well screw you. Like, all right, fine. But now I'm like, what am I getting? Like, how am I going to find a job at this point in my life? Like, it's a tough economy. Like, and also her husband has left her. He has a younger girlfriend who is now pregnant. So she's like, great. Everything is falling apart. Nothing <laughs> like my mom has died. Like my husband is leaving me and I just got fired. Like, well, I guess I will throw caution to the winds and do something. And she ends up her one of the like elderly neighbors in this hometown is like, I want to go on a road trip like to go to the she has this like quest, like end of life quest that she wants to do. And Karen is like, I guess I'll drive you like what else? Why, what am I hurrying home for? Like nothing. Mm -hmm. So like, sure, let's go on a road trip across Wyoming, like whatever. Uh, and so this is that journey. And I thought it might like, again, not having read it, but I read a billion reviews about it. And people love this book. I, I am excited to get it from the library. And it sounds very much like what you're looking for. Also, that's a great premise. So again, that is Dakota Blues by Lynn M. Spreen. And that is our show. Gosh, we had so many thoughts and feelings today. Thoughts and prayers. Woo. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> that was a journey. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, as always. Thanks also to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who helps us sound excellent. If you would like more book recommendations, we have loads of those over at bookriot.com. We also have loads of other podcasts, which you can check out at bookriot.com slash listen. There's a bunch of genre ones. There's new releases ones. There's all kinds of good stuff there. If you are so inclined to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would be super grateful. It helps other people to find the show. And we do enjoy seeing them come in. I'm not going to lie. Thanks go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Where are you, Amanda? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am on multiple places in the internet right now. I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 